Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, please check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyondblathers to see all the stickers, postcards, and sticker sheets we have for sale. And tell your friends about us. I also wanted to just plug the TikTok our account is beyond underscore blathers and olivia has just been doing such amazing content over there so i really think if you're a listener of the show you should definitely be following us yeah it's been lots of fun we finally hit four thousand followers so thank you to anyone who follows us there and everything i post on there is like pretty much unique like i don't really double up content anywhere else so got some unique animal facts and uh yeah we'd love to see you over there yeah and you answer people's questions too which is great so like if you have a question for olivia you could pop it over there yeah there's like a little q a box so you can you can send messages there and that's like the perfect spot because then i will always see them because if you post like a comment Sometimes it gets lost. So to make sure it doesn't get lost, send me a Q&A. Or if you follow us on Instagram, you can always DM us too. Yeah, we love hearing from you all. So that's just a little plug. It's at beyond underscore blathers on TikTok. Yeah, so this week we have kind of a little mini episode, or I guess it feels mini because it's like less than seven pages long. (laughs) I feel like I've been really like doing a lot of 40 minute episodes, which is kind of funny because when we started this podcast, I remember us being like, we're going to make our episodes like only 15 minutes long and it'll be nice and short. (laughs) Yeah, they've been getting longer, but I won't complain about it. I I really love the longer deep dives, but I think it's fun to occasionally have a shorter episode. Yeah, and sometimes I'm just like, oh, I can't I can't do everything about this animal. It's too hard. <laughs> too hard to do. But for some reason, I convince myself I can do it every time. But anyway, we've got, yeah, this little mini episode about a tiny fish called the killifish. Yeah, I have never heard of this fish, and I don't think I've caught it in the game. I think I've caught it, and like, I think it just is one of those fish that looks like a whole bunch of other kinds of fish. Uh, Like, I had convinced myself that, okay, so this is a bit of a tangent, so bear with me. But in Banff, there is this place called Cave and Basin, and they have, like, a hot spring there. In fact, it's, like, the first national park in Canada because of the hot spring. And the hot spring, like, leads down into this really beautiful little wetland, and you can hike down there. And they have, like, a whole bunch of... They call them invasive, but I don't know if that's necessarily like, I don't know. I don't like using the word invasive, but like non-native species of these little tiny tropical fish. They're like aquarium fish and they're just living in Banff National Park in Canada because of the warm water. And I thought that they were killifish, but apparently they are a variety of fish that look kind of similar to killifish because killifish are sort of that those fish with the upturned mouths and often they're like really pretty they've got like spots and different colors there's a whole bunch of different species yeah I think the little fish I just don't differentiate between (laughs) yeah I would say that's fair I I'm also like that well, I'm excited to give the killifish some respect and learn more about it. <laughs> yeah, I feel it. like we're already really disrespecting every yeah. small fish. <laughs> well, let's see what Blathers has to say about the killifish. So if you bring one to Blathers, he'll say, 
Ah, the magnificent killifish. Did you know there are over a thousand different species? My own favorite killifish species are the mangrove, which can live on land for weeks, breathing air. And the moomachog, the first fish ever brought to space. I wonder if the killifish you've brought me is related to either of those intrepid explorers. Yeah, this is kind of a cool bit from Blathers here. Like, the fact that this group of fish, like, they, they really can just survive for even months breathing air or or living in really low oxygen water. And the reason for that is, you know, just so many of them live in these periodic freshwater habitats. But we'll get into that in a second. First of all, I, I do want to say, like Blather says, there's over 1,200 species that live around the world. So there's a huge number of killifish out there. A lot of them live in tropical and temperate regions. I think at least in sort of the western part of the world, they can live as north as like Ontario, not Banff, like for some reason I thought. And a lot of them have a very similar body plan. They're pretty small, like an inch or two. They have the upturned mouths, relatively large eyes. They're just really cute and colorful. And that's part of the reason they're pretty popular as pets as well. Right. And so they're freshwater fish then? There are species that live in both fresh and salt water, but mostly they are freshwater fish. Those that live in freshwater can live pretty much everywhere everywhere from tiny ponds in the desert to these mangrove swamps, as Blathers said. There are a lot of species which live in pools of water, as I said before, that dry up seasonally. So not only do they have to have special adaptations for their eggs, but also for themselves. So there are many species that are just kind of able to breathe air and have extreme tolerance to dry or low oxygen conditions. And something really cool is that their eggs are able to survive being partly dried out, which is pretty rare for fish because, you know, they've got such like mushy, wet eggs, they need water. Some species actually need a drying out period in order for these eggs to hatch. So killifish in these habitats will lay their eggs in the water bottom. The eggs themselves are pretty tough, like they have a tougher, thicker membrane, and that helps prevent water loss. But they'll also have these like microscopic Velcro-like projections that help to keep them attached to the substrate, which looks really cool. It kind of, when I saw a photo of it, I was like, is that like the COVID-19 virus, <laughs> but it's it's a, a killifish egg. But these eggs, they also face another issue because even if they make it through the dry period, if they hatch too early, there's just like no pond for them to live in. So these eggs do something that no other vertebrate can quite do. They're able to put the development of their fishy little embryo on pause up to three times. And this is actually called arrested development. They stop growing, their cells stop dividing, and their metabolism nearly stops. And this slows their development and gives them waiting time to hatch when they're triggered by a big flooding event, which would presumably leave a nice pond for them. Wow, their eggs are so well adapted. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And like, I was reading about it and it, it sounds like one of those things that they're sort of researching because they're interested in this whole like, basically putting an organism on pause thing because vertebrates have a really hard time doing this. And they literally compared it to like in sci-fi when people go into like, like sort of like frozen hibernation. <laughs> 
yeah. um, like cryogenically frozen, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of like research potential here. Like while we travel to another planet or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> another cool study I read about with killifish is there was a little bit of a mystery for a while where scientists were trying to figure out how killifish were being found in remote water bodies in South America. I, I believe Brazil, although the paper didn't really specify. And they knew that one of the main dispersal strategies of these fish is that they basically just get washed into new habitats during huge flooding events. But they kept appearing in these very isolated places like high altitude ponds. And genetic analysis showed that they weren't from any populations that would access these ponds potentially, like they weren't from like nearby ponds. And at first it was thought that maybe like fish eggs were being brought in by waterfowl because they were getting like stuck to feathers or feet and sort of being flown in basically by these birds. But eventually they realized that the eggs were actually being consumed by the birds. Specifically, the study looked at the potential for Coscaroba swans to be able to eat these eggs and then transport them. And what they found is that the eggs were able to survive up to 30 hours in the digestive system of the swan and still be able to hatch normally. And it was kind of funny reading about this because the way they tested this is they literally had a bunch of zoo swans and they like fed them killifish eggs in their food and then studied their poop, uh, which, you know, sounds like a fun project. Wow, that's so interesting. So yeah, these eggs are just the hardiest eggs ever. Apparently, like, it sounds like so many of these different species can do some like really funky, useful little tricks. Yet another really neat thing that I was reading about, there's just so many like interesting studies on these fish. I should actually mention even before I get into this, that killifish are a really good model species. Like they're, from what I read, extremely genetically diverse and kind of like zebrafish in in labs. They're a very common species to run experiments on, uh, which is one of the reasons why Blather says they were like the first first fish to go to space. They sent up the killifish in 1973 in a plastic bag aquarium on uh, Skylab, the Skylab 3 mission. Um, and they, I don't really know exactly why they were doing this, but I think it was sort of to test a number of different things, including like swimming behavior in space. And they also sent like 50 eggs on this spacecraft. So that's kind of cool. I'm so obsessed with fish going to space. Like jellyfish too. I guess they're not technically fish, but like we talked in our moon jellyfish episode about them going to space. There's just something amazing about something from the ocean going to space. Even Taylor Swift is really into it lately. Oh, with the, yeah, with the koi fish in space. Yeah. She gets it. <laughs> it, took a, it was a long pause and I was like, wait, did I just like get a Taylor Swift fact wrong? <laughs> I was trying to think of like a lyric that was about that. And I was oh, like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of it. She needs to yeah. add that in. <laughs> I think she does. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, going back to that original thing I was going to talk about. So killifish in some parts of the world are pretty susceptible to this very weird parasite. It's called a trematode or a fluke. And 
basically it's like a super tiny wormy thing that when it gets into the killifish, it'll sort of, it'll go into the bloodstream, get into the brain, and it will actually alter its brain chemistry and causes the fish to do some really bizarre things. The fish will start to swim really close to the water surface. It'll flash its silvery belly and jerk around a lot and sort of swim in circles. And the whole point of this is the parasite is trying to get the fish to attract predators and do things that are very likely to get it eaten, particularly by water birds, because the parasite needs to be in the digestive system of a water bird to reproduce. So yeah, poor little killifish. It's a rough time and I feel really bad for them. Like this poor little fish has this like fluke in its brain and like that must be just so scary. So I feel really bad for it. Yeah, like, I know The Last of Us is inspired by fungus, but this sounds very, like, similar. Like, a, a a parasite that makes you act in, yeah, just takes over your body. Yeah, I know this is probably, like, not at all a comforting thought, but it's comforting to me in the sense that, like, I think when you start looking at ecology, like, everyone's like, wow, it's so scary that cordyceps are out there and can control our brains. And I'm like, yeah, there's actually, like, so many things that could control your brain. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just cordyceps. Like, there's, like, so many things out there. So, I don't know. To me, it's comforting that, like, that we haven't already had a zombie apocalypse. Like, cordyceps are not the only problem. I guess. That makes me think that we're overdue. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I feel like... I don't know. Eh. Yeah, maybe. We're not fungus experts. No, but... I'm not. But cordyceps are super cool. I think maybe what makes them so scary is like they look physically very scary. Like the way they like burst forth of an ant and they have this like extremely alien looking appearance. Like a fluke is just this microscopic blob. It's not It's not as uh, sci-fi, I think, as a cordyceps. Yeah, it's just in there. It's a good it's a good story idea too though, filing that away. Totally. This story actually reminds me, speaking of like parasites that can control you, of some of the work I was doing this summer in the ponds. We had like these little scuds which look like just miniature shrimp. And Sophia, let me know if I've already told the story on the podcast, but I don't think I have. So these scuds were just in the thousands in my samples. Like, I remember we poured out a sample into a sieve and, like, the sieve was, like, the size of a dinner plate and it had, like, an inch deep layer of these tiny, like, centimeter long scuds just writhing in it. It was so gross. But these scuds, often they would have this, like, they were gray in color, but some of them would have this orange spot on their back. And what I learned actually is that that little spot was a parasite and it would get into the scuds and it would cause them to do kind of a similar thing to the killifish. They would be attracted to light. They would start behaving in a way that was very unusual for scuds. So they'd go right up to the surface and they really want to attach to something at the surface. So what ends up happening is they'll grab onto the bottoms of waterfowl. So sometimes you'll see things like ducks or geese get out of the out of the water and their butts will just be like fully covered in these like writhing shrimpy things. And it like completely solved a mystery for me because 
over the summer, I'd be like sitting on the edge of a pond sorting out my samples and there would just be like piles of scuds, like dead scuds on the grass. And I'd be like trying to figure out what had happened. Like maybe there was a flooding event and like the water like quickly receded and left all these dead scuds, but they'd always be in like a perfect pile. And so it turns out, yeah, these scuds were being dropped by the, the ducks when they'd sit on the grass and people like (laughs) there's apparently like this whole like rumor about lawn shrimp and everyone's got these like mysterious lawn shrimp on their like front yards and people are trying to figure out where they come from and it's from this like these ducks just walking onto people's lawns and stuff and sitting down and ditching all these lawn shrimp but the whole point of all of this is that the parasite is essentially trying to get these uh, scuds eaten by the ducks because the ducks will go and groom themselves and sort of pick up the occasional scud in their mouth and then this parasite will go on to continue its life cycle within the digestive system of the duck or the waterfowl but I just think this is such a, a wild story and I love the idea of a lawn shrimp like I want a lawn flamingo but it's just a scud Wow. Yeah, no, I don't think you've told that story to me before. And I don't know, it it was really starting to like creep me out, just a visual <laughs> of so many shrimp everywhere. Yeah, I think it'd be creepy, except that like scuds are so stupid. I'm just like, <laughs> ugh, they really drive me crazy. They were such a nuisance this summer. Well, going back to killifish, I guess we should maybe talk about conservation. How are they doing? I mean, it sounds like they must be doing okay if they're being used for all this research and everything yeah they're not doing too bad as far as I could tell like I'm sure there's some species that are endangered but I did encounter in terms of conservation kind of a cool paper so apparently a lot of species and in a lot of places are considered to be an indicator species because they can indicate the health of a wetland mostly because they're very sensitive to pollution That being said, there is a phenomenon that's occurred with various populations of Atlantic killifish in four estuaries in the eastern states. So these estuaries contained pollutants over 8,000 times the lethal dose for most killifish, and that would result in their cells being permanently damaged by the pollution normally. But these like amazing little fish basically pulled an evolutionary backflip and turned off the gene that would result in their cells being permanently damaged by this pollution. Wow, that's pretty convenient. Can other fish do that? Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like they can because killifish are just really lucky because they are so genetically diverse that it's a lot easier for them to adapt to bizarre situations like this more quickly and efficiently. So yeah, I mean, the scientists I was reading about, they were like, nope, the killifish are just sort of lucky this way. They can get away with this sort of magical trick. Hmm, Very interesting. Yeah. So that's the killifish, our little mini episode. It's just a really cute little thing that scientists like to do weird experiments on. We love the killifish. Thank you so much, Olivia. I learned a lot about them. I I will have some respect for them now. Oh, good. <laughs> I guess we both will. <laughs> yeah. And thank you everyone so much for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Blathers. And make sure to check out our TikTok at beyond underscore blathers. And don't forget to take a look at our shop at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye! Bye! Bye!